you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. How do experienced disability lawyers prepare for more challenging mental health disability cases? This is part two of my interview with Scottsdale, Arizona disability attorney Jeffrey Herman. In part one, Jeffrey and I spoke about the big picture approach he takes towards preparing a depression, anxiety, or PTSD case for a hearing. Now, in part two, Jeffrey and I discuss mental health claims with complications, cases where our clients self-medicate with street drugs or alcohol, cases where there's no clear diagnosis, and cases where mental health providers are unwilling to help us with functional capacity forms. We also talk about compelling non-medical evidence like statements from former co-workers and supervisors and symptom logs, and we talk about the proper attitude to bring to your disability application to demonstrate to the judge that you are a reluctant claimant who is seeking disability benefits in good faith and as a last resort. Taken together, this two-part interview can offer you a very clear roadmap about what is working today should you or your loved one need to pursue social security disability due to a mental health condition. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Now, there are a couple of other mental health issues that I'm sure you see. Uh, Bipolar, uh, Mm -hmm. let's talk about that, and then schizophrenia. So bipolar, you know, when we talked beforehand, you made note that you're typically looking for patients or claimants with bipolar one versus bipolar two. Tell me about that. What's that all about? Yeah. I, 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 w- I know bipolar one is the more severe of the two, and I know bipolar in general is characterized by going through manic phases and depressive phases. And so, you know, as, as you know, one of the catch-all theories to winning a disability case is arguing that a, um, a particular claimant would be off task too often during a workday, more than 10, 15%, mm-hmm. or would be inclined to miss too many days of work during a month. Um, frequent absenteeism. So I, I find when it comes to the bipolar condition, particularly, that tends to be the more effective strategy to go to argue a case. And there does need to be on, my, on the client's, on the claimant's part, pretty well, you know, pretty strong documentation of them logging their, their episodes, their manic episodes, their depressive episodes, um, a fair amount of not just having the support of their they're treating psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, but also having those third-party statements that can help attest that this person, when he, when he is in one of these manic or depressive states, is you know unable to work during this time, is highly unpredictable, unreliable. And I think it, with establishing the frequency of these uh, swings in their mood um, through different different manners through the claimant's testimony, through the doctor's opinion, and through third-party statements, I think that's the best way to present a well-rounded case that this person would be 
an unreliable worker at any basic full-time job. All right, Jeffrey, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and I just want to unpack this a little bit, was the importance of ongoing treatment and a, and a consistent treatment record. Because I know, you know, here in Atlanta, or it really doesn't matter where you are, a lot of times you have people that just can't afford treatment or they, they struggle getting to, to see somebody, even if it's a county mental health facility. Um, but I think it's important for folks listening to this to understand that judges are looking for evidence. So you really have to have, don't you, this ongoing treatment record. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I, I think we find that that's probably one of the most difficult conversations to have with, with, uh, with our clients that are suffering from, from various types of mental illnesses is that, um, unfortunately, judges don't really care about, you know, if you can't afford it, if the insurance isn't covering it, if you live outside of the radius and, you know, to, to seek the treatment. Judges look to see, are you doing everything you possibly can to overcome your mental illness so that you can return to the workforce. And they're, I, they're just, the excuses that, that exist, which are 100% valid, I'm not discrediting these excuses, but I am, you know, what judges do look to see because it's, it's hard to get approved for disability. We know that, yep. we know what statistics show. And if judges have a reason to deny a claimant, especially when it comes for a lack of medical treatment or medical non-compliance, they'll, they'll typically do that. And yeah. so we, we, we have to coach and counsel our clients so that, you know, yes, I, I understand that, you know, fi finances is extremely tough. Are there any clinics out there that um, are low cost or free clinics that you can go just to show that you're making those attempts and those efforts? Um, are you looking towards your family and your friends and to help, you know, kind of find scratch, find the scratch, find that, you know, whatever it takes to keep up with your treatment in hopes that your claim is approved, you make it through the other side, you get your lump sum award, and you get your monthly ongoing benefits. So, uh, Yeah, no, no, and it's not actually something I just wanted to follow up that you said before, and I think this really kind of bears repeating that um, obviously, you know, folks want to, they want to get on disability, uh, they want to get their benefit, but I think attitude has a lot to do with this. You know, oh. I, I always tell my clients, never go in with the attitude of entitlement that you're entitled to anything. You go with the idea that I, don't, I just need this temporarily and I'm going to go back to work. Do you speak to that? Do you, do you find that that's important? I think especially in the case of mental health issues oh, yeah. uh, that, that you don't, you don't want to seem like you're invested in the idea of being disabled. A, a, a thousand percent right there. Um, there's, there's, very, there's various aspects to how a judge looks at a case and they look at the medical, they look at the work history, they look at credibility, but um, but one of the one of the things that judges look at in my in my experience, every single claimant that they decide upon is their attitude. Does this person feel like they're entitled to disability? Um, are they doing everything they can for themselves? Uh, and so I always advise my clients to, uh, to the the winning attitude for disability is to show the judge that you want to work, you wish you can work, you would love to be able to work right now. And you would love for the opportunity to return to work at some point in the future. But unfortunately, because of the severe mental illness that they're battling, they're just not fit to work. And you know, I try to discourage that stinking thinking on their part that, um, oh, I, I have this diagnosis. I'm taking these medications. I clearly can't work. I've paid into the system and the taxes. This is my money. No. That's not how the judges look at it at all. And if sometimes that can be the, the, the tipping point for, an, for a favorable or an unfavorable decision. 
I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, I tell people all the time that, you know, judges, if they sense that you're, you know, trying to game the system or you've already decided that you're disabled and you just want to get paid, uh, no, that that's not going to work work out very well. Um, let, let me ask you, one of the things I see in mental health cases, uh, sometimes it's sort of intertwined with substance abuse. Um, what would you say to somebody who's struggling maybe with alcohol, with marijuana, or with other street drugs, but they've also got a level of depression? How do you how do you deal with that type of problem? Yeah, that's um that's a very difficult problem to navigate. Uh, I, the, my general statements to clients are, you know, you really want to remain compliant. If um, if, if you're continuously drinking or using recreational street drugs, judges are gonna have a difficult time deciding your case because they don't know how effective the treatment would be if you were compliant, if you weren't engaging in that type of behavior. If you don't have the self-discipline or self-control to at least not be, you know, quit drinking or at least show an effort that you are quitting your drinking from a prior state of heavy drinking, um, and completely omitting any kind of recreational drug use. It's, I, I don't know if I've really had really any cases approved when there are, when there's consistent, uh, you know, usage of any recreational drugs. When it comes to cannabis and medical marijuana, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a different type of subject. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to more, do, do your doc, are your doctors aware that you're um, utilizing medical marijuana? Are they supportive? Are they neutral or do they or do they not like it? And if they don't like it, then that's going to be interpreted as medical noncompliance. Mm -hmm. and that's going to be tough to overcome. Uh, yep. and, then, and then one other aspect I look to when there is prior drug use or if there has been some um, you know, excessive alcoholism and such, is there an argument that this can be a, a, for symptom symptomology? Is this a symptom of what they're battling and would there would their treating psychiatrist or psychologist be willing to include that in their opinion that this is more a symptom of what they're battling versus them being medically non-compliant? So, uh, you know, there are creative ways in which we can help um, tell a better story for our client when it comes to that type of um, alcoholism, drug use and such, if we can help work with their doctors to say it's more of a symptom of what they're battling versus them just, you know, being not non-compliant with their regimen. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? What to do if you're denied? How to avoid common mistakes? And my ever popular, how to avoid trick questions from the judge? Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay, act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Yeah, although I think, I mean, for me, I think it's very difficult to unwind and un, you know, differentiate between an underlying mental health problem and substance abuse. So I tell my clients, you know, if at all possible, get into some sort of a 12-step program, do something to show that you are trying to get clean because, you know, everything else being equal, a judge, if, if, it's, if a judge is confused about that, there's any hint that this is a, uh, a person seeking drugs as opposed to having an underlying medical problem, uh, they're going to deny you. So it's, it's a problem. It definitely is a it problem. Is. It um, is. 
So you don't want to obviously try to avoid that if at all possible. Um, now, obviously, when folks are depressed, you know, they sometimes get really down on the whole system. Social Security is unfair. It's deck stack against me. I've heard all these terrible things. What what would you tell somebody who's struggling with mental health issues, maybe who has not even thought about filing for disability? What 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 would you what advice would you give such a person? Well, I think the biggest thing that we can give to a person is hope, um, hope that, you know, if 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 they are compliant and they they walk the walk and they keep up with their treatment, that there is hope that their disability claim can be approved if they if they do and say the right things and, you know, are very open and honest with whoever they, you know, whomever they hire as their representative, if they're honest with their treating providers, that there's hope. That it's not, uh, that, you know, don't endorse all the despair and hopelessness, but rather this is a potential opportunity for a person to pull themselves out of the hole that they're in, get onto disability and take advantage of those benefits that the government provides for, um, for disabled um, you know, people in our country. Yep, absolutely. I think it's, uh, again, you know, the nice thing about what we do is you can really change somebody's life. You know, if you get, if somebody comes in and then you can create a, a theory, working theory of the case and, and get them to where they need to be, uh, it's very rewarding, actually. I'm sure you find it uh, as well. Very, very rewarding. All right, uh, Jeffrey, tell me a little bit about where you are, where, where you practice, how people might get a hold of you. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm based out of uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, so it's a underlying um, city from around Phoenix, and my firm, we serve the entire state of Arizona, and the name of my uh, law firm is Desert Disability. Our website is desertdisability.com. Um, like, like all other attorneys, we offer free claim assessments, and we only earn a fee if we win a case. Uh, and I, I personally review every claim assessment that comes that that somebody submits, and whether or not I'm able to take a case, I always I'm always I'm, it's very important to me that I at least give some good advice to this person. So perhaps maybe they don't have a, a strong case right now, but they have certain tips that they can follow to improve their case, and then I can be available later in the claim process to represent them on appeal. Okay. And what is the phone number? I don't know if you gave a phone number. What's a good oh, phone number to reach out? Any, or number, email. Yep. Our phone number is 480-420-7887 or Monday through Friday, nine to five. Um, got a, just a, a wonderful staff of bright legal minds that are very compassionate, caring, or very communicative. We'll answer the phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, uh, we enjoy what we do. Uh, this is a hard occupation to be in if you don't truly embrace it and enjoy it. And uh, it's like you said, it's very, very re rewarding. And, and I will just add to that that when I started my in in this particular career a few years ago, I was uh, I was just surfing the YouTube and I came across uh, this fellow out of uh, Georgia who's uh, had a YouTube channel where he I found that of the various videos that were on the YouTube world where the other attorneys, you know, I found so many people that were reading from prompters and they looked very rehearsed and staged and forced. And then I came across uh, your channel, Jonathan, and I have to tell you, it, it's, um, it's very easy to see from uh, a, a new person's perspective, how well you understand the law. Um, the fact that you have so many of these really uh, valuable but concise videos 
on your channel. It, it, it was immensely helpful for me. I, I make my staff go through a Jonathan Ginsburg crash course sometimes <laughs> and watch some of your, your greatest hits. And mm -hmm. uh, I can only imagine how many people out there that whether it's attorney representatives like myself or claimants that are going into the hearing by themselves, uh, I can only imagine how how many people you've helped. So well, thank really. you. I, I appreciate that. It's actually a lot of fun. It's something that I started doing these videos, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. I had no idea what I was doing at all. You know, <laughs> terrible. The production quality was terrible. I had a, you know, I had a I had a I remember I had lights with with fans in them so you could hear this buzzing. And uh, you know, over time I've gotten a little bit better with the video part. But uh, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And you know, I, I'm a big believer in in karma. You know, you you give out to throw out to the universe something good and hopefully something good comes back. So I've had a chance, you know, to meet a lot of nice people yourself uh, is, is a good example. We kind of met through that. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And, and again, uh, you know, part of why I'm doing this podcast as well is I think that, you know, as disability attorneys, it's important for us to share what we know, because look, the disability process is really opaque. I mean, Social Security, yeah. um, look, I'll give them a lot of credit in going paperless. I'll give them yeah. a lot of credit in pivoting because of, you know, when, when the coronavirus thing hit, they've pivoted mm -hmm. to the uh, telephone hearings, and I know they're going to be doing video hearings soon. Give them all the credit in the world. But the problem is that, you know, not they don't tell you what you need to know. They don't tell you how to, what they're looking for. So, you know, somebody comes to this situation, this process. I mean, look, I remember, you know, going back many years when I first started practicing, um, I was focused a lot on the medical part of it as opposed to the work capacity part of it. And, you know, and as you know, uh, the big issue in a disability case is how your medical problem impacts your capacity for work. It's not about your diagnosis. It's not about the medical problem. It's about, you know, ultimately your work capacity. So, you know, doing like what we're doing here today and, and just sharing that information, I think is very helpful. Whether somebody becomes a client of ours or not, uh, it's still, I think it's important for us, you know, just as members of the community at large to, to share what we know. So I, I appreciate your kind words and uh, look right back at you because you're, uh, you're right out there sharing what you know too. So, uh, uh, but listen, this has been great. I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, we'll definitely do it again. Uh, we'll come up with another topic and do it again. But uh, uh, again, any, any closing comments, any closing words from you? Yeah, I, I would just add, um, you know, to uh, anyone that, you know, has a, a mental illness of any type that uh, is, is truly struggling with work, um, you know, there is a recourse. There, there are, there are what the listings, and there's a whole listings that cover various types of mental illnesses. And uh, I would encourage a person to apply for disability if they can't work, but keep trying to work. You can apply for disability, but you can continue trying to work. What's the, I mean, what, what's the downside to that? You know, if you find a job that you're able to do, forget disability, let the claim go. Not a big deal. There's no harm in that. But if you're not able to work and you try a job here for a month and a job there for a month, what are you doing? You're showing Social Security, you're showing the judge that you're making these work attempts. You're trying different types of jobs. And if you have an issue with, you know, social interaction, look for jobs where it has minimal social interaction. Um, you know, try to, you know, work with what you can do and what you're not able to do and see, you know, truly looked at the job market, see if there's a job you can potentially do. If it works out for you, great. You don't need the disability. You'll hopefully be making a lot more from your job than you will from your disability benefits. But if you can't do it, you're strengthening your case. Absolutely. I, th I think failed work attempts 
uh, are great evidence. And look, you're right. Working, you're going to feel you're going to feel better about yourself. You make more money. You'll have a socialization. There's a lot of obviously advantages to working. So again, that kind of goes hand in hand with the notion of not being invested in your disability. I think those are very very wise words, and we'll close on that. So again, thank you very much for your time, and we will definitely talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.